1 John chapter 4, and especially verses 8 through 10. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, the only begotten Son, sent into the world out of love and for love, out of divine love, eternal love. The Son comes forth, the Son is sent. And as the incarnation of love, as it were, he shows his love. Indeed, God shows his love as the Son incarnate makes satisfaction for our sin. Love is the foundation of our Savior's incarnation and satisfaction. And love is what is manifested to us, to needy sinners, in the Savior's incarnation and satisfaction. As Herman Bovink once put it, in fact, in the entirety of his person and work, this Christ is a revelation of God's love. Yes, God is just, holy, zealous for his honor, as Bavink goes on to say, full of ire against sin, and gracious, merciful, eager to forgive, and abounding in steadfast love. There is no antithesis between these things, though we cannot understand how they fit together in and of ourselves. We rely, in fact, upon what is revealed in Scripture. And yet, what we see in the Holy Scriptures, what we see even in what Christ says and does, is, in fact, the love of God. In Christ, reconciling the world to himself, In Christ, making propitiation for our sins. In Christ, coming into the world and giving himself so that we sinners might be brought safely to God, we see the love of God. And we see the love of God in Christ because Christ himself is a gift. Of God's love. And this is repeated throughout the scriptures, but it is taught clearly here as well in 1 John chapter 4. As the Apostle gives to us exhortation to love one another, as he gives us exhortation to love the brethren. He does so 
on the foundation of the love of God. And not just the love of God that is manifested towards us, but the love that God is. He tells us not only that love is of God, that our love for one another is a gift of God, but he also tells us that love or that God is love. And that out of his love, he shows his love to us in Christ. There is in God an inexhaustible fountain of love that is poured out upon us specifically in Christ. Out of love, God sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And it is in view of that love then that we are called to love one another. Indeed, it is that love even shown to us that is perfected in us by the Spirit of Christ. And it is that love then by which we love one another. There's something expressed here in these verses concerning the love of God as it is in itself and then the love of God as it is shown to us. And it is shown to us in Christ. And it is shown to us in Christ because God is love. This morning then as we think upon the incarnation and satisfaction of Christ as the manifestation of God's love, there are two things that we want to notice specifically regarding the love of God. First of all, notice with me the perfection of God's love. When we speak of perfection, and when we speak of perfection with respect to God, we are speaking not of something that is in the process of becoming. Here in the text, in fact, we're, the Apostle John speaks of God's love being perfected in us. Verse 12. That's a process. It's something that comes about over the course of the Christian life. But when we speak of the perfection of God's love... We are speaking not of what is in the process of becoming, but we are speaking of that which is. That which always has been, that which is, and that which always will be. We are speaking of love as an attribute of God, love as a perfection in God. Twice, 
once in the specific verses that we're looking at, and then just a few verses later, we are told that God is love. Yes, God shows love. God has a particular affection for his creatures, a particular affection for his people. But when we say that God is love, we are saying something about the eternal existence and the eternal being, eternal essence of God. God is love. And when we say this, we need to be careful to remove from our understanding of God's love any kind of imperfection. We've already done this to an extent by distinguishing between love being perfected in us and love as it is in God. One just, one is in the process of becoming and the other just is. But we need to be careful that we do not impute to God notions of love that are foreign to Him as God. Love is an essential perfection of God. It is not something that is added to Him It is not something that is increased in him. It is not something that is moved in him. Later on, even John will say that it's not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. God is not moved to love. God does not wax and wane in love. Increase or decrease. Experiences that we know to be sure. But God just is love. Love essentially. Love unchangeably, immutably. Love infinitely. Love absolutely. Perfect love. And so, just as we want to remove, as it were, all creaturely imperfection, we want to speak eminently of this love because it is divine love. Not just any love, but a love which is. In God. God is love. Now, we need to understand that when John says God is love, he is not saying God is exclusively love. And we're confronted here with the difficulty of our own apprehension of God's attributes. And the reality is we see them diversely. 
Because the scriptures teach us that God is holy. God is love. God is just. God is righteous. God is immutable. God is infinite. God is wise. God is omnipotent. And much, much more. And while we understand these things diversely, while we make distinctions in our minds in order to understand, and even God reveals these things distinctly to us so that we might understand something of who he is, these things are not diverse in God. And so there is no contradiction between divine love and divine holiness, divine love and divine justice, divine love and divine righteousness. We might simply say, and as it has been said down through the centuries of the church, that all that is in God, all of the attributes that are predicated of God in the Holy Scriptures, love, holiness, justice, righteousness, and the like, all that is in God is God. Not that these attributes make up who God is, as it were. They are compiled together as parts in God. But these things are all in God, perfectly, infinitely, immutably, absolutely so. And as we think of his love, we must say that God is his love. God is not moved to love by objects outside of himself. God, in fact, doesn't even move himself to love. God's love is not something that is caused either by something outside of God or something in God. God is love. Love is in God as a perfection. Not as something added to him. Not as something that he is moved to or moves himself to. But love is in God absolutely, perfectly, eternally, infinitely. Immutably. And this is important for us to understand because it means that when the scriptures and even John here speaks of the manifestation of the love of God, the demonstration, the action of that love, he is not speaking of something that arises out of God in virtue of who we are, but he is speaking of action, he is speaking of God's work that shows this infinite, incomprehensible, and even immeasurable love. This is not something that God does, we might say, out of character. 
But it is out of this inexhaustible, infinite, and in some ways inexpressible love that God sends his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. God seeks our good because God is good. God shows his love because he is his love. And so when we speak of the perfection of divine love, we're speaking again of that love which is essential in God. That love which is immutable, infinite, perfect. And a love that in itself is just as God himself incomprehensible. But that love, amazingly, has been made known to us. And not simply made known as a kind of intellectual object that is something for us to think about, to consider. But that love has been shown to us. That love has been shown to us in the working of God in the incarnation and satisfaction of the Son of God. And so we need not only to speak of the perfection of divine love, as it is absolute, as love is absolute in God, if you will, immutable, infinite, incomprehensible, but we also ought to consider something of the manifestation of God's love. The showing of God's love, as John says, even in us or in our case. Notice that immediately after saying, for God is love, in verses 9 and 10, John states the matter this way, herein was the love of God manifested in us, that God hath sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The perfection of divine love and the outpouring of that love. First of all, again, the perfection of divine love, but now secondly, the manifestation of divine love. And this is not just, again, a showing of love, 
a display of love, but it is the outpouring of love. It is the love of God which makes us different. A love of God which affects us. A love of God by which we are made beneficiaries of the person and work of the Son of God incarnate. John says that in this, that is in what he is about to say, was the love of God manifested. There is a particular and historical demonstration or showing, appearing of love that has respect to us. In us might also be rendered with respect to us or as it is in our case. That is, as those whom he has already called beloved. Those whom he has already called children of God. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In our case, the love of God was manifested in this. That God hath sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here is expressed the sum total of our Lord's incarnate work. God sent his only begotten son into the world. God sent his own son. The Father sent His Son, the Son who is begotten of the Father from all eternity. Begotten, not made. Begotten, not created. This is the Son of the Father, the Son of His love. In fact, if we ask the question, why is it the Son who comes to show? Why is it the Son that is sent to love or to show and manifest the love of God. It is precisely because as the only begotten, he is the, we might say, original beloved of the Father. He is the Son who dwells in the bosom of the Father. The Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father is, yes, an inexpressible love, but it is The love out of which we come to know the love of God. Because God hath sent his only begotten son into the world. Into the world for an express purpose. That we might live. Through him. There is something about his sending as the only begotten Son that brings life to us. Implied here is what John teaches us in his gospel and elsewhere in his epistles that this sending of the Son into the world includes a very real 
and true incarnation. The Word became flesh. The eternal Son of the Father, the only begotten of the Father, was made man. He took upon himself our flesh. He united to his person a real body, a real human body, and a real, reasonable human soul. And he did so out of love. And for love. That is, that we might live through Him. God's love is shown to us by His Son taking our flesh so that He might give us life. And he gives us that life as he becomes the propitiation for our sins. Verse 9 raises the question, how is it that the Son, being sent into the world, affects life in us? How do we come to live through him? John explains, herein is love, herein is the love of God manifest, herein is the love of God in its workings, in its effects. Not that we love God, but that He loved us, and out of this love sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is divine love, is the foundation of the Son's incarnation, even as it is the foundation of His satisfaction. He sent His Son out of this inexhaustible fountain of love, God sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be the satisfaction for our sins. The cross. The cross, the crucifixion and the death of the Son of God incarnate is... The effect, the working of divine love. It is the manifestation of divine love. And as we come to receive the benefits of the cross and the death of Jesus Christ, it is divine love shown to us. When we speak of love, we can speak of it in terms of 
benevolence, that is the wishing or the willing of good to another. But we can also speak of it as using a somewhat technical word, beneficence, that is the making good of another. And here, when we speak of the incarnation and the satisfaction of Jesus Christ, when we speak of the Son of God coming into the world and living a life of perfect obedience and dying upon the cross for our sins, we need to think of this beneficence that is, Here is an affection, here is a love shown to us that actually makes us good. God does great good towards us, saving good. Out of this propitiation, out of Christ making satisfaction for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins, taking upon himself our burden, our curse, our guilt, and making perfect satisfaction for it. He does great good for us and Towards us. Because in virtue of that satisfaction, we are no longer guilty before God. Our sins are no longer counted against us before God. But instead, in virtue of the righteousness of this same Christ, we are righteous, declared righteous. And not only is it for our good in terms of our justification then, but it is for our good in terms of our sanctification. For what is it that the Spirit of Christ does as He glorifies Christ in our lives? He perfects love in us. In us. Out of love, Christ. Out of love, the Son of God was sent into the world to save us from our sins. And out of this love, He does indeed save us from our sins. Out of this love, indeed the Spirit of love works in us and causes us to abide in God even as love is perfected in us. God does great good to us, saving good to us. And he does it all in his son. In his son who became incarnate for us. 
in his son who made satisfaction for us and for our sins. We are saved by divine love. By divine love specifically in Christ. We live in virtue of that love which is shown in the incarnation, which is realized in the satisfaction of the Son of God incarnate. Which is why earlier in this letter, John can marvel and call us to marvel at the kind of love that the Father has not just shown us, but bestowed upon us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God and such we are. And we are the children of God in virtue of Jesus Christ. In virtue of the one who was manifested to take away sins, even our sins. We are the children of God because the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, those works of sin. We are the beloved of God, the beloved children of God in Christ Jesus. We are the objects of his love. He does us great good. He shows us great good. His love affects the entirety of our salvation. All that we have and all that we are is the result, the effect, the working of divine love. Dear believer, you are loved of God. And that love of God which is shown to you is an inexhaustible fountain. It cannot and it will not cease to be. God, having loved us in His Son, having shown us His love in the Son becoming one of us and living and dying for us and for our sins, Having done that, God's love for you cannot be revoked, cannot be undone, cannot be overturned. It does not wax, it does not wane. His love for you does not increase and does not decrease. His love 
is not only as sure as the Savior's work, but because the Savior's work has its source, its cause in the love of God, in God Himself. then you can no more fall out of the love of God than God can cease to be. God is, and he is love. And he manifests that love. He manifests that love in his son, in his incarnation, in his satisfaction, and in his taking of you and joining you to his son and in his son giving to you and to me all of the benefits of his love all of the goodness of his love such that having loved you again he can no more cease to love you than he himself can cease to be Do you understand, dear believer, that you are the recipient and the object of divine love, divine affection? God, who is love, loves you. And he loves you Not as we often hear, just as you are, but he loves you in such a way as to actually save you and deliver you from your sins and by his spirit to perfect love in you, to make love perfect in you. You. And even then, so that you and I might love one another. He that loveth not, verse 8, knoweth not God. He that loves, He that loves his brothers knows God and knows the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Everyone that loves is begotten of God and knows God. Verse 7. And in this respect, We must take seriously the charge that comes to us from the God who is love. That he who loves God loves his brother also. And to love our brethren, let us contemplate the love of God as it is in him. And the love of God as it is shown to us. 
If we want to love one another, if we want to love the brethren, let us consider, let us contemplate the love of God manifested in our case and with respect to us. Let us reflect upon the reality that out of his abundant love, out of his never ceasing love, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. If we are to love one another, let us consider and contemplate the reality that his love is shown to us. That his love is the foundation and cause of sending his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let us consider that God has so loved us, that he has loved us in this particular way, in a saving way, in a perfecting way. And let us, out of a consideration and contemplation of that love, the love of God for us, let us, Love one another. The church of Jesus Christ would be a place of true Christian love and will be a place of true Christian love if our first consideration, if our first contemplation is. The love of God. The love of God. Not in its worldly conceptions, but in its gospel conception. That God sent his son into the world to be a propitiation for our sins. God sent his son to make satisfaction for your sin and my sin. Love is not accepting us as we are, but love is God intervening to deliver us from who we are and to make us vessels of his love. So may it be. Let's pray.